Go to Luke chapter 22. Now keep in mind in our text as we get into our study here this morning that Jesus is with his disciples for the very last time before he goes to the cross. He is in an upper room. He has celebrated Passover with them. And he desires to have this deep, intimate fellowship with them, as he said, for I have desired to, to celebrate this Passover with you. And we know that the very last words that any of us that we would have for somebody, you know, in our lives, those are important things that we say to them. And, and Jesus here, knowing that he's going to the cross in a few short hours, these things are very important that, that, that we have the privilege to be able to listen in on the things that he is teaching them uh, before he goes to the cross and as he's ministering to them. So let's pick up our text at verse 21 of Luke 22. Jesus says to his disciples, But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. So Jesus, of course, speaking of his betrayer, who would be Judas Iscariot, and he's at the table with me, and Jesus would say, woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. We know as we go over to John's gospel in chapter 13, and by the way, a quarter of John's gospel is given to the events and the teachings of Jesus in this upper room called the upper room discourse. But, but as we see here in Luke, when, when Jesus said that one of you is going to betray me, they looked at one another. John says perplexed. Here they're, they're, they don't know who the betrayer is. We know that Matthew and Mark records that the disciples would say at that time, is it I, is it me? And sadly, we know that Matthew's account, when Jesus said that, woe to that man whom the Son of Man is betrayed, he goes on to say it would have been better if that man had never been born. And it seems to indicate that Judas would leave uh, the room at that point, uh, leave the dinner, Jesus saying, what you must do, do quickly. And the guys, they thought, well, he's the one that holds the money bag. He must be taking a run to the store to get some more groceries. Or he's such a good guy, he's going to go and give money to the poor. You know, Judas, he's really thoughtful. And these disciples, they don't know who the betrayer is. They're not saying, aha, is Judas over there? He's got to be the betrayer. Again, from John's gospel, that it is Peter at that time when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. They're wondering, is it I? Is it me? That it is Peter that motions over to John. John, who's laying his head against the chest of Jesus at that time. Can you imagine that? Hearing the heartbeat of deity. He said, ask him who it is. And Jesus would say, as John said, Lord, who is it? It's the one in whom I shall give a piece of bread. And when I have dipped it, and of course he would give it to Judas. And then at that point, Judas would leave the room to do his act of betrayal. But as we continue on in verse 24, now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. Interesting. Let's think about the chemistry of what's really taking place in this upper room. One moment they're saying, is it I? Is it, is it me? Could I be the betrayer? When they're at the table with Jesus, in the midst of Jesus, 
But sometime during the evening, they're arguing who's going to be the greatest. And by the way, we know that that was an argument that had been taking place for some time. Even when they were up in the Galilee region, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And understand that as we know what has taken place here from all four Gospels, but again, John gives us greater insight to what's taken place. These guys don't know what's going on here. This is graduation night here. And they're clueless, they're confused, they're troubled in their hearts of what's going on. These are the apostles, not the B-apostles. And so here they are, they're, they're scratching their heads. One of you is going to betray me. And I don't think that we can fully understand the depth of betrayal that Jesus went through. Just like any of you that have been betrayed by somebody that you loved and cared for, that you trusted in. I don't think anybody can fully understand the depth of betrayal that perhaps you've experienced, but Jesus does. And here he knows that he's going to be betrayed. And all of you are going to fail me tonight. You're going to be made to run away because of me. And Peter, you're going to deny me three times, we will see as we continue reading. And Jesus just continuing to minister to them, bringing comfort to them because they are troubled. He said, don't be troubled in your heart. You believe in God, believe also in me. And you know the way. And they're going, we don't know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip pipes up and he says, well, show us the Father. That'll suffice us. And, and Jesus says, Philip, oh, you've been with me all this time. And it's probably in a voice of, of just a little bit of disappointment. Oh, Philip, you guys, don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? I'm the exact representation of the Father. If you want to know the heart of the Father, look at me, know me. And at this time, Jesus understands that he is going to go through tremendous suffering and facing beating and scourging and be pinned to a cross. It's only going to be a few hours from this time that they're going to arrest him, bound him up, and the sufferings would begin. And, and Jesus is being so patient with them. He doesn't blow up at them. It doesn't leave as cool. I think if I was in this situation, I probably would be strained and stressed. And it's like, you guys need to just get out of here. Leave me alone. But Jesus here, again, as they are arguing who's going to be the greatest, what does he do? He rises from supper. He took a towel and he girded himself and washed the disciples' feet. And I just wonder, as you recall, that earlier in the chapter, as we read that Jesus said, go and prepare for the Passover, part of that preparation for them to have dinner would be there would be a jug of water that was there you know a basin there would be towels that would there be there they knew that was for washing their feet they're probably thinking as they come in do we wash our own feet that was customary or does one of them wash our feet you know that sometimes that was done a, a sign of hospitality uh, who's going to wash you know the feet uh, our feet is it going to be john john's the youngest let's have him do that I just wonder if those thoughts are, are going through and they're coming into the room arguing, you know, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. And here Jesus, knowing that they are arguing who's going to be the greatest once again, that he gets up, he washes their feet, and he says, what I have done for you, do to one another. That's greatness. And Jesus now continuing to teach on greatness. But before we get into that, to verse 25, again, think about the chemistry here, arguing who is the greatest when they were amongst each other, looking at each other. Is it I? Could it be me? 
to all of a sudden here, as Jesus is in their midst, they're saying, could I be the betrayer? Such different ends of the spectrum. It's like two different sides of a coin, but I think there's an important application that we can take away with this, and that is when I am in the midst of others and focus on others, I can start to think that I'm better than him, I'm better than her, I'm greater than you, I'm greater than them. And we begin to look at how everybody else falls short. But when Jesus is in our midst, in the midst in our lives, and every day, sensitive to his presence, as he was at this time with his disciples, and other places again, when they were in the house or on the road and, and they're arguing and Jesus would walk up to them and say, what are you guys talking about? He knew what they were talking about. Then they would be quiet. Because you see, when I am close to and listening to the Lord and in his midst at any given moment, I will not be boasting in my greatness. I'm not going to be putting myself above others and bragging about myself. But when my eyes are on the Lord, then I'm going to be humbled because, listen, true humility comes by having intimacy with Jesus. True humility comes by having intimacy with Jesus and keeping him in the midst of your life. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see, even as Isaiah, we're going to talk about on Wednesday night, as we go into chapter 5, Isaiah is given the word of the Lord, but it is Isaiah that says, woe to you, and woe to you, and woe to you. He gives these series of woes, but then when we move into chapter 6, it's going to be different, and he writes that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled, you know, the temple, and I said, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And the seraphim, that angelic being, took the coal from the altar and touched his mouth, and it purged his, his lips, purged his tongue. And you see, we can learn from that. Because when we see the Lord high and lifted up, when we say, woe is me, because in the light of your perfection and your glory, Lord, I fall short. And I realize how much I need you. And it humbles us as we're before the Lord. Here they are saying, is it I? Could it be me? Because they're in the midst of Jesus at this time. So as they're arguing earlier who was the greatest, Jesus, in his patience and grace, teaches them once again about greatness. He had been doing that, as we've seen going through Luke's gospel in chapter 9. Remember that he said, whoever receives a child in my name receives me, and whoever is least among you will be great. He has told them that whoever is the greatest is to be the servant of all. He taught in chapter 14 that, that you and I were to take the lowly place, and you're going to be rewarded in the resurrection. So once again, as he's teaching them about greatness, this is for us as well, his disciples, verse 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. Verse 27, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? It is not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as the one who serves." So what the world tells you and I, the culture is the one who is great, is the one who sits at the table being served. The world and the culture tells you and I that you are to lord over others, that you are to look to rule over others, be above others. 
Not so with you, Jesus would say. I sit among you as one who serves, verse 27. And Jesus, again, being so patient with them is very patient with me. Because he's still teaching me these things. He's still working these things out in my life. Because I can have the tendency at time to want to sit. And I want to lord over. And I want to tell everybody what to do, rather than looking for every single opportunity every day to serve others. And Jesus, as he tells us, he says, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. you you got to understand what it was like in this time, the patriarchal system that was in place that was very important. I think we see it clearly in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Remember that Samuel the prophet was told to, to go to Jesse's house there in Bethlehem, and you're going to anoint the new king of Israel. And so there he comes and there's, there's Jesse. He, he presents to Samuel his eldest, Eliad. And he's tall and he's handsome and he's strong. And Samuel looked at him and said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed that is before me. And the Lord said to Samuel, No, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He would bring all his sons before Samuel the prophet. And he said, none of these are the new king. Do you have any other sons? And, and Jesse said, well, the youngest is out there in the field with the sheep. He's taking care of them. And he's playing the guitar, and playing with his sling and stuff. Well, bring him here. And as Samuel saw him, he said, this is the one that has a heart after God. If you or I want to be great in God's eye, then we are to be humbled in the servant of all and learn to serve others. Jesus saying in Mark's gospel that I didn't come to be served, but be the servant of all and give my life as a ransom for many. And whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be the slave of all. What our Lord says about greatness goes against our natural tendencies, our thoughts of greatness. It goes against our culture. True greatness is not defined by the world's definition of greatness. We need to always remember that. You see, it's not about status and and popularity and fame and, and money. It's not about how many serve you. That's the way of the world. And it is the world that is concerned about prestige and status and, and, and fame and all of that. That's how the world tells us to be great. And that's what our flesh wants. That's what our flesh thinks, isn't it? Hey, I want to lord over others. I want to be known. I want to have prestige. I, I want to feel important. I want to tell people to go here and there and do this and do that. Jesus says it shall not be that way with you. Now, you might be thinking, well, I own a business. I'm a supervisor. I I have people under me. I have to tell others what to do and go here and go there. Yes, you do. But I think that we know what Jesus is getting at here. That you can be a supervisor, a business owner, a senior pastor. You're still to have that servant attitude and heart. You see, being the senior pastor here means that I'm the servant of all. And I'm to have that servant's attitude. And Jesus didn't just teach this. He lived it. And on this last night, before he gives his life as a ransom for many, 
It absolutely amazes me that he washes the feet of these disciples, even though he knows that they're going to fail him that night. And Peter's going to deny him. And even Judas is going to betray him. Jesus tells us the path to greatness is the path of humility. To truly learn to be a servant, the servant of all. And you see, ministry is done to benefit those ministered to, not for the benefit of the minister. And unfortunately, I think that there are those who are in ministry for what they can receive instead of what they can give. And Paul, he would say that there are those who are given the Gospels when he was writing to the church of Philippi that do it out of strife and envy. That he would say to Timothy, Timothy, there are those who preach that godliness is a means of gain. And I think that, unfortunately, that even in the ministry today, that there are those that the pressure is on them, that you're not successful unless you have this amount of people coming, unless you are known, unless you are popular. And we start to measure success in that way rather than just serving the people and loving them. And that's what God has called me to do. To be the senior pastor here is a great privilege for me. And I see it as a privilege to serve you and your families. And I know that the Lord's still working in me. But over the years, and as he's still working it out in my life, that Jeff, that you serve the people, you feed them, you love them, I'll take care of everything else. And I don't walk around with an attitude of a great man of God that I am. And I don't go home, you know, after this morning of, to my home and walk in and I'm the, you know, godly man that just did three services. You know, when I go home, Sue's going to say, you know, you need to take the trash out. You know, (laughs) there's a basket of laundry that, you know, needs to be taken upstairs. We're to serve one another and reach out to one another. This is a hard one. And a good evaluation to know Whether we have a servant's heart is very easy. How do you react? How do I react when we are treated like a servant? Go here, go there, do this, do that. And there are times in our lives where we're desiring to be a servant, but we get frustrated. We start to wonder, am I making a difference? I've been doing children's ministry or working in the nursery or serving my family. And am I making a difference? Lord, is this important? It seems so insignificant. And you need to understand it is important to him. We want to be noticed. We want to be honored. We want to be recognized. We all go through those feelings and those tendencies in life. But I want you to know that the Lord doesn't tell us to be servants so that we can be miserable but that you will experience great joy in your heart and in your life. And also know there's going to be great reward. Let's look at that, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says to them, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus says you will receive great reward because you're the ones They have continued with me in my trials. You'll be sitting on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Can you imagine that here is John at this time, 
that he's hearing the words of Jesus later at the end of his life, he receives the, the apocalypse, the book of Revelation, the visions that are there. At the end of the book, he sees the new heaven and the new Jerusalem. And in the new Jerusalem are written the names of the 12 apostles upon the 12 foundations of the wall of the city. And when he saw that, he must have thought, wow, this is incredible. His name is going to be there and the names of the 12 apostles for all eternity in the new Jerusalem. Here they are arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and they have absolutely no idea the great rewards that await them in the kingdom. And I want to encourage you this morning because Jesus talks about, the Bible declares to us, that there are eternal rewards given for you who serve, for what we have done for Christ. We know that as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 declares, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema reward seat of Christ, and we're going to be rewarded for what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. Romans chapter 14, that we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Oh, we're not going to give an account for our sins. Jesus did that on the cross at Calvary. But there are rewards to be given to you and to me for what we've done for Christ in this life. And they are eternal rewards. And keep in mind that in Luke chapter 19, remember those of you who were with us in that study, that parable, the minus, that here are the people that as Jesus is about ready to make his way to Jerusalem, and they're expecting the kingdom of God to be ushered in immediately, he stops and he says, okay, I want to tell a parable to you. And that is there was a nobleman that would give, you know, a certain amount of minas to his servants. And the nobleman would go away and receive a kingdom to himself, but he would come back. And the servants were to give an account of what was entrusted to them. And the servants that invested in what was given to them, and we see the same thing in a similar parable told by Jesus in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. But those who invested in what was given to them, the words of the nobleman, which represents Jesus, is, well done, good and faithful servant. And you've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many. In the case of the minas, You're going to rule over ten cities and five cities. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And all of us have been entrusted with the gospel. All of us have been entrusted with gifts and abilities and resources. Are we going to be good stewards to what has been given to us? Opportunities that are before us where God has planted you. And just as they had no idea their names would be on the foundation walls of the New Jerusalem and will be rewarded greatly for all eternity as we serve him, I don't think we can fully understand the rewards that are given to us as we serve him out of our love and devotion to our Lord, that he's going to bestow upon us a kingdom. We get so caught up on the horizontal that we forget about the vertical, the eternal And listen, what you do for Christ now has great implications for eternity. And I think that too many Christians don't consider this because, again, so much is focused on the here and now. So much much is focused on the temporary. We forget about some of the last words of Jesus in Revelation chapter 22 when he said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give 
to everyone according to his work. And the world is not going to encourage you in this. And a lot of the church isn't either. Because unfortunately, a lot of the church is focused on the temporary. And here Jesus is saying, there's going to be great reward for you guys. You're going to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. You're going to sit upon the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And he's going to reward you and me as well. For you. That husband, father, you're providing for your family. And you're raising your children in the ways of the Lord. For you, mom, that is at home with those little ones. Or you too, raising your children in the ways of the Lord. For you, as taking care of your elderly parents. For you who are praying for people. Jesus said, as you do that, as, as you go and pray, great is your reward. As you're serving in practical ways and reaching out to others and ministering to them. As you're working with the children and give a cup of, of cold water to a child. The Lord notices that. And you see, again, we can go through times and we think, oh, it's so hard and it's difficult. Am I making a difference? Never forget that you are making a difference. And you may not see the impact on this side of eternity, but when we get to heaven, I think that we're going to realize when we invested in people's lives, when we gave that word of truth, when we reached out to others in kindness and in love, how much it did impact their lives. And don't give up in, in serving. Because we're going to see here that when you do serve, you're going to have the enemy that's going to be asking for you, just as he was asking for Peter. I was down at a refresh conference, and I was with some of the guys in, that have been ministering. And, and it was such a, a blessing just to be with them, you know. And, and we were talking, some of us who have pastored for a number of years, it's more difficult to pastor, to, to minister than it was when I first started 25 years ago. Do you realize that the average pastor lasts five years? That's it. Then he gets out of the ministry. Because it's too difficult or he feels like a failure or the pressure's put, you know, there's not enough people coming, the expectations. There's a variety of reasons, but I also believe because of the attacks of the enemy. He knows that his time is short. And we are to be ones to understand that the enemy, whenever the Lord is working, he's going to be trying to work as well and trying to discourage you from serving. He doesn't want you to serve the enemy. And so may we encourage one another. You see, may we just exhort one another to do good works. And that's what the scripture says, exhorting each other for good works. That we would just... Continue to be encouraged to serve and remember that the Lord sees you and he's going to see you through. And don't give up. Keep running your race, all right? Keep fighting the good fight. And know that there's great reward for you. So here as he gives this teaching on greatness, it's a word for us. And then in verse 31, as we read, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might shift you as wheat. And I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And then he said, I, I tell you, Peter, that the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you do not know me. Satan has entered Judas this night. 
Now he's asking for Peter, that is Simon. And he wants to shift you like we. He wants to, in other words, he wants to grind you up. He wants to chew you up. He wants to spit you out. He wants to beat you up. And he's asking for you. He will ask for you and for me as well. As you're growing in the Lord, as you're serving the Lord, he wants to shift you. He likes, wants to shift me like wheat. And matter of fact, as commentators will point out as we read this, as Jesus said, Satan has been asking for you. That you is in the plural. He's asking for you, Peter, and your buddies here. And he will be asking for you and for me. We know that as he says that, he doesn't leave Peter shaking in his boots or in his sandals there. He's asking for you, Peter, but I'm praying for you that your faith should not fail. The writer of Hebrews declares in chapter 7 that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and for me. And I am so thankful for that. It amazes me that my name, your name, is uttered at the throne of God as he's praying for you, interceding. And when I am under attack and go through the difficulties and the trials and the hurt and the pain of life, my faith can begin to falter. And know that as we go through an experience like that, because it happens to you as well, that Jesus is praying for us. And Jesus is there to intercede for us. And when my faith falters, I know that my Lord, as he intercedes for me, not only is he praying for me, he gently brings me to himself and strengthens me. And then as he strengthens me, I can strengthen others. And what brings me comfort as well is I know that that you are praying for me. That you're praying for your pastor and praying for my family and praying for the staff here because we are a target. And we're going to continue to be a target. So in this upper room, here Peter is told that Satan's asking for you, Peter. He's going to shift you like wheat and all the guys that are here. And here, Peter, he's trying to be brave. He's trying to be strong. He said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I'm ready to go with you. Whatever comes before us. We know from the other Gospels that when Jesus said, all of you are going to be made to, to run away from me, you know. And, and when Jesus said that, he or when he did say that, Peter pipes up and he says, not me, Lord. These other guys may be yellow, but not me. Don't worry about me, Lord. And here Luke picks it up and he says, I'm ready to go with you both to prison, even to death. And here Jesus says, you're going to betray me three times. By the time that you hear the sound of the rooster. And we're going to continue next time. We're going to see Peter's denial of the Lord three times. We're going to see the steps that he takes that leads to that denial. But the first step we see right now is that he has confidence in himself. Oh, here is Peter. I think he's sincere, but he has confidence in his own you know, strength, his own flesh. Uh, Peter, he's so sure of himself. He's proud like a rooster. And the Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I think that as we look at this, you know, Bra- Peter was a brave individual. He really was. I mean, he's the only one that got out of the boat and walked on the water in that storm. 
He's going to pull out a sword when 600 soldiers come to arrest Jesus that we will see next week. And he pulls out a sword and he, he gets the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. Do you realize that if Jesus hadn't healed his ear, that Peter would have been in big trouble, thrown in prison, maybe even put to death for doing that? So Peter was a brave individual, but where did he fail? He failed in being scared of a little girl, a little servant girl. Listen, as we close, I want to say this. If there's any area in your life where you think, I got it together, Lord, I'm strong in this area. Don't need to worry about me in this area. I got it, Lord. Then you know what you'll find? In those areas that you think that you're the strongest, you're going to end up being weak, and you're going to end up failing and faltering over time. You see, it's very important for us as Christians that we rely completely on him. Even as we sang this morning, I surrender all, not just in the things that I feel weak in, But I surrender all. We are to rely on him every day, in every way, and in every area. Because if we don't, it won't be long before we hear the sound of the rooster. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for the words of Jesus being taught to us and these very important reminders about greatness, dependency upon you, Lord, knowing that there's spiritual attack that comes against us when we live for you and we desire to serve you, that there's eternal rewards to be given to us. All these things are so important. We could spend so much more time on them. But Lord, may these truths that we have considered and looked at this morning, may they resonate in our hearts, be worked out in our lives. And Father, I do want to pray for those who may be here, perhaps in the coffee shop or in the sanctuary, listening on live stream, listening on the radio later, that you've never made a commitment to Christ, that Jesus went to that cross a few hours from the time that we were reading this because he took on the cup of suffering death for you. There was no other salvation for us, no other hope. Jesus went because we're all sinners and there's a sin problem. That's the bad news. But the good news, that is the gospel, which means good news, is Jesus went and died in place of you and for you. As he bore your sins upon himself, he made atonement as he shed his blood. He was put into a grave and he rose again and he's alive. And he says to you, who have not made a commitment to Jesus Christ, that I love you and I want to forgive you and I make provision for forgiveness. I want to give you eternal life and right relationship with the Father. And he did say, I am the way. He's not a way. He is the way. And no one comes to the Father except through him. And as you call upon the name of Jesus, humbling yourself and saying, I'm coming as a sinner to ask for forgiveness, you will be saved. Recognizing your need for him. You see, he rose again. He validated what he did. He proved that he's the son of God. No one else conquered the grave. Every other religious leader is in the grave, in their tombs. Only Jesus rose, and there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem that proves that he's the Son of God. Call upon him, and you can pray right where you are. That Jesus, I come to you, I confess that I am a sinner, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. 
And I believe that you died for me. You rose from the grave and your life speaking to my heart. And I ask that you would forgive me and be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for speaking to my heart and bringing me to this place to listen to this message. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. Thank you for this new beginning and making me a part of the family of God. In Jesus' name. And if anyone prayed this prayer as we're concluding the service here, Jim, one of my elders, is up front here. I want you to come up and tell them the decision you made as we close the service here. And We want to pray for you, encourage you, bless you in any way that we can. We want to follow up with you. Or come and tell me. But Lord, I thank you for this time that we've had together. And I pray that you be with those who are faltering and feeling weak for whatever it may be. Maybe frustrated, discouraged, having needs. Lord, that you would minister to them. Draw them to yourself. That we would look to you for everything. Bless everyone here as we go our way now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?